Uh, this morning I'll be reading from Luke chapter 1, verse 57 to 79, which is page 1013 of the Pew Bibles. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbours were all filled with awe, and all throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is the Gospel of Christ. Thanks, Ben. Uh, Keep your Bibles open. Uh, We have sung some wonderful songs this morning, and uh, there's one line I want to highlight uh, in that last song we sung, Exult in the Saviour's Birth. Uh, The line that says, this baby must be adored. Uh, And it hints at the theme for our upcoming uh, Christmas services. I don't think when they wrote the song they were were thinking of these, but uh, come let us adore him. That's the the theme. Uh, And this is what we're going to be doing this, this Christmas season. We're turning our hearts and our minds to the birth of the Lord Jesus. And as we think about all the things he had come to do, uh, all the things he did, all the things he will do in the future, uh, we take time to adore him for it. Uh, That's what the song demands of us and and it's what his coming demands of us. And this morning we're going to be adoring Jesus from a slightly different song, this song of Zechariah, which Ben just read. Uh, If you weren't with us last week, we started this series in Luke's Gospel where we'll be looking at four songs Uh, that are there in the first two chapters. And we learned last week that uh, when you find songs in the Bible, it's often in response to something incredible and unique that God has done for his people. And uh, and apart from the Psalms, uh, nowhere else in the Bible are there as many songs so close together as there are at the start of Luke's Gospel, uh, which points us to the fact that the greatest thing that God was going to do for his people would be done through this child, Jesus. Last week we looked at Mary's song. Uh, this week it's, it's Zechariah's song, known as the Benedictus. 
Uh, and it's called that because it reflects the Latin uh, for the first words of the song. Uh, Praise be to the Lord, or, or in some Bibles, blessed be the Lord, which is where Benedictus comes from. Uh, so why don't we pray and then we'll come to Zechariah's song. Please join me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for the encouragements we've already had this morning. And we, we thank you for this song. We thank you for what you were doing uh, that first Christmas and what you continue to do now. Uh, and we pray that you would help us as we anticipate uh, this coming Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. A story emerged in the 1940s about uh, the gathering of friends at an estate, uh, which almost turned to tragedy when one of the children uh, strayed into deep water and almost drowned. Uh, the child's name was Winston, and he was saved by a boy named Alex, who happened to hear the cries for help. And the story goes that the parents of Winston uh, returned the next day to thank the boy and his parents, and they offered to pay for Alex's future education, uh, which would have otherwise made the, the possibility of study unlikely. And Alex goes through medical school and graduates with honours, and years later, uh, when Winston Churchill is Prime Minister, he gets pneumonia. And he summons the, the best doctor in the country, and a man named Alex, better known as Alexander Fleming, who, who discovered and developed penicillin, turns up and saves Churchill's life again. And it said that Churchill later quipped, rarely has one man owed his life twice to the same person. Now, uh, over the years, that, that story has changed, and, and you might have heard a, a slightly different version of it, because uh, it's widely thought to be nothing more than a work of fiction, uh, which means it's even more rare for a person to owe their life twice to the same person. It's even more rare. Unless, of course, you are a Christian. A Christian recognises that we owe our lives to God because he's the one who created us. We only exist because of him. A Christian also recognises that we owe our lives to God because salvation comes from him. He is the God who saves us and promises us eternal life with him. And it's the, the second of these things, the salvation aspect, uh, being saved by God, that comes up in the song that we're looking at this morning. As Zechariah sings this song, salvation is his focus. Uh, you may have noticed the, the word salvation came up a few times in the reading, uh, in verse 69, in verse 71, and in verse 77. Zechariah realizes that God is about to save his people. And this is a song where he rejoices in what God was about to do. And it is a wonderful song, made even more wonderful when we remember who is singing it. Because this is a man who hasn't been able to speak for the best part of a year. Uh, in chapter 1, one of the first things that Luke tells us is that Zechariah's wife was barren, unable to have kids, and they were in their, year, uh, their later years in life. But an angel appeared to Zechariah and told him that Elizabeth would bear a son, but Zechariah doesn't believe the angel. And because of that, the angel tells him that he's going to be unable to speak until the baby is born. And Zechariah remained mute, uh, remained mute until months later, which is where this passage picks up. Uh, we heard in the reading Zechariah had to write on a tablet uh, when they asked him what to call his son. Uh, and at that moment, his speech is returned when he confirms the name should be John. And he begins praising God in this song. Uh, so let's, let's turn to the song. And it is a short song. It's, it's only got two parts. 
uh, or, or two verses if you like. The first part is verses 68 to 75, which shows us salvation for God's people. Uh, the second part is from verses 76 to 79, which shows us uh, salvation from sin and death. So firstly, salvation for God's people. And you'll notice Zechariah is speaking about future events, uh, as if they've already happened. Uh, because this song is a prophecy. It, it's God's word to his people about the future through Zechariah. Uh, verse 68 begins, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. Uh, and it's a wonderful way to start a song, or anything really. Uh, the attention is, is firmly fixed on God. Uh, that's something I've, I've certainly appreciated about the Anglican service over the years. Uh, often the service starts with, with Scripture, helping us to focus on God. Uh, often our first song is one uh, that helps us remember something of the character of our God as we praise Him for it. Uh, it was the case this morning, uh, and it's been the case in recent weeks. Uh, we've sung songs like uh, Praise to the Lord Almighty, uh, All Creatures of Our God and King. Uh, this morning it was Rejoice in the Lord. Uh, all songs that, like Zechariah's song, focus on God's character and our response to him. And as Zechariah praises God, we see why in verse 68. God was coming, and he was going to redeem his people. And when we think of God coming into this world, uh, the word that's used is actually the same word uh, where the word bishop comes from. It means to, to look on something intently, to visit, to examine, to look closer, uh, with the intention of helping. Uh, and it reflects what a bishop does. A bishop takes time to, to visit the churches under their care. That's what our bishop is often doing when he's not here. I, think, I don't think he's here this morning because he's, he's doing that very thing. Uh, God was literally about to bishop his people, to visit them. And this wasn't the only prophecy regarding God coming to be with his people. Uh, Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would be born, saying in, in chapter 7, that the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Uh, which is one of the names given to Jesus, and of course means God with us. God was coming, and he was coming to redeem his people, to save them. Uh, and we see how he would do it in verse 69. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago. Uh, and if you're thinking, what on earth is a horn of salvation? I, I guarantee you're not alone. Uh, I, th I think it paints a little bit of a, a picture for us, because... Horns are a key part of, of some animals. A uh, horn can be like a, a weapon for them. It can protect them from their enemies. And a, and a horn can also indicate strength and, and power. Now, there are only two times in the, in the Bible where that phrase, uh, horn of salvation, is used. Uh, one is in 2 Samuel, uh, chapter 22, verse 3. Uh, and the other one is uh, speaking about the same incident in Psalm 18. And, and on both occasions, it's talking about God. God is the horn, the, the strength, the power, the security. And so when Zechariah sings his song years and years later, and he mentions the horn of salvation, it's no surprise that he is also talking about God and showing us that God will use his power to save his people, to protect his people through this descendant of David. Uh, that's what verse 69 is getting at. God made a promise to King David in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Can anyone remember what that, what that promise is, what it was? Anyone? 
Yeah, so, yeah, that's right. Uh, one of his descendants would, would establish his throne forever. Thank you, Tim. Well done. Uh, someone from David's family line would, would be this saviour. Zechariah is, is excited because that someone is coming soon. Not because he thinks it's, it's John, uh, his own son. He knows John isn't from David's family line, so it can't be him. But Jesus, on the other hand, fits the bill. His lineage could be traced all the way back to King David. Now, there's one other statement there uh, in verse 70 in the brackets, which uh, would be very easy for us to skip over. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago. It shows that Zechariah's prophecy lines up with what all the prophets of old had prophesied. Uh, listen to these words from 1 Peter 1, uh, verse 10, which echo this idea. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care to try and figure out who this was and when he would arrive. And so Zechariah's song is a, a nod to the prophets. He, he's saying this is what the prophets were getting at all those years ago. And even though it, it had been about 400 years since, since God last spoke through any of the prophets, uh, this promised salvation had finally arrived. Imagine waiting that long, 400 years. Obviously, it's generations and generations. And it was a promise of God. Uh, verses 72 and 73 remind us that this is partly why God acted. That's why it mentions uh, remembering his holy covenant, uh, the oath he swore to Abraham. And there's a great lesson for us here to remember about God. He is a God who will always keep his promises. Uh, we make promises all the time. Uh, we say we'll do things with the best of intentions. Someone uh, very graciously reminded me this week of something I, I said I would do but failed to do. Uh, and we're like that from time to time, aren't we? Pro probably more often than we care to admit. But God is not. You look at any promise in the Bible, you, you could open your Bible right now and, and find any promise in there, and you can be certain that God will keep it. It may be uh, that you feel like God's people, like, like you've been waiting for, for years and years for one of these promises, uh, for something to happen. But God is a God who keeps his promises. Uh, where we fail to keep our word, even with the, the best of intentions, God will never. And isn't that a, a good thing for us to know? Isn't that something uh, and someone worth following, living for? Uh, I think that's partly why, why Zechariah is so excited in this song. He realizes God is doing what he said. Well, as we keep moving, notice who, who God is saving his people from. Uh, verse 71 from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Uh, verse 74, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. Now, who are these enemies? Who were they? Uh, maybe Zechariah had in mind uh, something on the scale of the Exodus. Uh, I mentioned Exodus last week, and uh, in chapter 6, verse 6, it says this, I am the Lord your God, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And that's precisely what, what God proceeded to do for the Israelites. Now in Zechariah's day, the, the Israelites would have been longing to be saved from their Roman oppressors. But God was going to save them in a, in a much bigger way. Uh, there was a spiritual element to what God was about to do through his son. And notice in verses 74 and 75 what he's saving them for. 
to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. See, when God saves, there is always a purpose. We don't always know what the purpose uh, for the specific things that we have to, to go through in life always are. We don't always know what they are. Uh, there are those times where we aren't really sure why God has allowed things to happen the, the way that they have, and we're left with questions we, we, may, we may never get answers to in this life. But this song reminds us of something we should always know. God has saved us for a purpose, to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness. And even when we're asking, the, uh, asking God those hard questions in life, we remember this purpose that he has given his people. So Zechariah praises God for saving his people. And we come to the second part of the song in verses 76 to 79. And it's here that we learn that God has come to save his people from sin and death. Uh, picture this, if you will. A, a man is at the hospital where his wife has just given birth. But before he celebrates uh, this arrival of the baby, he, he ducks off to celebrate uh, because there's some other people who have found out they're having a baby. Uh, it would be very strange to be, to be more excited about someone else's baby over your own. Uh, but in some ways, that's a bit like what Zechariah does. After the birth of his child, after being mute for months, he sings about what God would do through another child, uh, which tells us that, that Zechariah knew that Jesus was unlike any other child, that he deserved his attention and all of our attention. Well, in verse 76, Zechariah finally mentions his own son. He gets all of two verses uh, because John still has an important role to play. Uh, verse 76 and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. Are you ever, do you ever have those moments where you're, you're listening to a song and you think those lyrics or, or that tune actually remind me of another song? Well, this part of Zechariah's song would, would make the listeners, and particularly the original readers, uh, remember similar words that the prophet Isaiah spoke hundreds of years before. Uh, Isaiah 43 a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. That's what John would go on to do. And verse 77 tells us he does it to give the Lord's people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. John would call people to repent of their sins, to, to turn from their sin, and to turn to the one who could help them. Now, if you look at John's gospel, one of the first things that, that John says when he sees Jesus is this. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John would prepare the people of God to be saved from their sin. Uh, picture this for a moment. Uh, there's a married couple. Uh, let's say they live in Wellington. And they've got two kids. And uh, Jack is living and working in the UK. Jill, uh, her work took her to the United States. And uh, they both haven't been home in a while. And one day Jack gets a call from his dad. And after 40 years of marriage, his dad tells him that it's just not working anymore with his mum and they're getting a divorce. Now Jack is shocked by this news because his mum and dad have always been rock solid in their marriage. Uh, the dad carries on, Jack, do you think you could just ring Jill and, and tell her? I just can't bear the thought of, of breaking it to her. So Jack phones his sister Jill and, and breaks the news and Jill can't believe what she's hearing. And she convinces Jack to just let her take the lead on this. 
And she hangs up and, and gets on the phone to her dad and, and she sets him straight. She says, this is ridiculous. You're not getting divorced. You're not doing anything just yet. Just, just leave it for a few days. Jack and I will be home by the weekend and we'll sort this out. And the dad reluctantly agrees and, and hangs up. And then he turns to his wife and says, Jack and Jill will be home for Christmas and, and we don't even have to pay for the flights. <laughs> deception, deception might bring some people together. But there's no, there's no trickery. Uh, there's no deception that can bring any of, us, any of us together again with God. No amount of deception can do that. No cunning plan can do that. Our sin has, has always separated us from our God. And John would play a role in, in helping people to see that. But he'd also prepare people to see God's solution. That God would wipe away all of our sin through Jesus uh, we were reading a bit of Leviticus uh, chapter 16 at our Bible study this week and uh, it was talking about all the, the rigorous steps that the people of God had to take uh, in order to pay for their sin and to make them right before him. Uh, and it's an unbelievably thorough process. There's so much detail and it's a process that had to be repeated uh, time and again. A process that led to external change but one that could never change the heart. But now, God was about to offer a lasting forgiveness through his own son. And Zechariah is, is full of joy at this, knowing what would happen, and that his son would also play a part in that. God would, will save from sin, but also from death. Uh, Zechariah describes the state of the world before this child arrives as, as being in darkness. He says in verse 79 that the people are living in darkness and in the shadow of death. And it reminds you a little bit of, of uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, his writings in, about Narnia, where uh, it will always be winter, but never Christmas. Because this is a, a gloomy world until this light of the world arrives. Uh, and verse, uh, verses 78 and 79 talk about this. The rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. That's the impact that Jesus coming into this world would have. This is what God's people had, had longed for. Uh, it's reflected in one of those, the first Christmas songs we sung last week, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Uh, people who have been in darkness for so long, longing for this light to come into the world. Well, that light has now arrived. Uh, Zechariah knew it was coming and rejoiced as he realized what God was doing. But for many of us here this, this morning, this, this isn't a new thing. Uh, and perhaps we're struggling to get excited about what God has done as, as Christmas approaches. Uh, Christmas is, uh, perhaps we haven't had time to, to think much about it. Uh, Christmas is a time where people give gifts. And I'm sure there'll be uh, some stories of, of dud gifts that, that people have received over the years. Maybe you've got a story or two like that. Uh, I went to the Young Adults Christmas, uh, Christmas Eve event last year, which, which is on again this year for uh, any young adults who are interested. And uh, they do this $5 Secret Santa gift, and uh, part of the gift I got was a dozen plastic eggs. Uh, and some people thought that it was a dud gift initially, but it came in uh, very handy for the church picnic uh, earlier this year for the egg and spoon race when, when there was a nationwide egg shortage. And we couldn't afford to drop real eggs. Uh, with any gift, if, if we don't see our need for it, we won't appreciate it. 
Uh, and I think this part of God's word, we've looked at this morning, is here to help us see our need for Jesus and, and the salvation that he brings. To see how long God's people had, had waited and, and longed for this. Uh, if we're not appreciating it, then, then do we really see our need for him? Our need for the tender mercy of God, as, as Zechariah describes it. Now, in, in light of this song, uh, two encouragements for us. If, if God has saved us as his people and shone light into the darkness of this world, uh, in the words of Peter, then he's called us out of darkness and into the light to declare his praises. Or, or in the words of Paul, to live as children of the light. Are we walking in the light in the lead up to Christmas? Throwing off sin? Uh, are we living as those who have been saved? Those who twice owe our lives to God? Uh, are we remembering those who went before us, who, who longed for, the, uh, for what we have now in Jesus? Or are we turning back to our old way of life as, as Christmas approaches? Uh, giving in to sin, living for ourselves and not for God? Maybe the song is the encouragement we need at this time. Uh, if you're someone here this morning who wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, uh, keep considering your, your need for Jesus. And as you do, I pray that God would help you to see that there's no greater need for us in this world. Let's close in uh, prayer. Please join me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your tender mercy. Father, thank you for sending your Son into this world. Uh, this moment that uh, people had longed for for generations and generations. Thank you for sending him to save us from sin and death. And thank you for all we now have in him. I pray that this Christmas we would continue to be reminded of that uh, and we'd continue to be ever so grateful for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.